I've told you about um, a visit that Phil Dempster and I had with an imam in Islamabad and the very interesting conversation we had with this man and his assistants as he told us that he was also a follower of Issa. So an imam in the Islam faith is saying that he's also a follower of Isa, Jesus, because in the Quran they are told um, that Isa is a prophet to listen to as well as Muhammad. So we had this very interesting conversation, um, and uh, at the end of it all, he, he, he said, now I'm very interested in uh, furthering conversation between uh, Muslims and Christians and, and people of other faiths. But he said, if I can give you two pieces of advice, here's what they would be. First of all, you have to stop insisting that your Bible is inspired above the Quran. And secondly, you have to stop insisting that Jesus is the Son of God. So that, those were kind of conversation stoppers, right? Because we said, well, hmm, <laughs> it was lovely to visit, and the spirit of, of cooperation and conversation is very important. And in a day like ours where there is such animosity, we must sit at the table together and talk and understand one another. And that was what we were doing. And after his few words of advice, we enjoyed a lovely lunch together. And then as Phil and I traveled on, we kind of scratched our heads about what we had just experienced in that conversation. And the story that the imam told us about reaching out to Jesus for healing because he had been praying to um, Allah and through the prophet and wasn't being healed, so he prayed to Jesus and he was healed and we were scratching our heads. So, so here's the deal. We're talking about knowing God and all of the things that we've talked about so far are really about God the Father or the one God that we would normally think about as, as we talk about God. And we come now in the book by Jim Packer about Jesus, about um, God incarnate. And uh, we're, we're going to sing a hymn after this. And one of the verses of the hymn starts by saying, Charles Wesley writing it, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies." And that's a line that is worth just ruminating on, right? Just chewing over and thinking about. "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies." So Packer tells us that of all of the things that um, we try to grasp in our Christian faith and following God, probably the hardest thing um, is, is not that Jesus died for our sins, or it's not even that he was able to conquer death, but the hardest thing to get our heads around is that God could become man, that an immortal could become mortal, that a being that cannot die by definition comes and dies. It's very, very hard to get our heads around. In fact, we can't. Um, it's one of those intricacies of the nature of God um, that causes us to say, well, we, we don't know. We are not God. We are creations, and thus we can't understand our creator. We accept that he tells us something that is not conceivable, something that is not possible. So was Jesus really the Son of God, um, or was he just a really good teacher and miracle worker? So we've, we've gone the distance on that. We've listened to everything he told us because his friends faithfully wrote it down. 
And we've asked, well, is that why he came? Did he come to renovate religion, to teach us good moral and ethical lessons, or was there more to it? And there clearly was more to it. So one of the things that totally angered the religious leaders of the day um, was this account that we find um, in John chapter 8, where Jesus is talking to these religious leaders, and he has said things about um, knowing things about way back, and he refers to Abraham, and he, he claims to have been before Abraham, and they said, you're not even 30 years old. What do, you, what do you mean by all this? And then Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. So what was he saying? They knew exactly what he was saying, because at this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. He was using Yahweh's name. He was using the Old Testament God's name. And he said, before Abraham was, and a little play on words, I am. And they said, you're claiming to be God. So they picked up stones to, to stone him. Because there has been some assertion that Jesus never really claimed to be God. And here was a, a clear example of where he was claiming to be God, and they knew what he was claiming. Thus, they picked up stones to stone him. One other time, um, they picked up stones to stone him. They said, because he claimed to be God. That's, that's why we're doing this. So Packer in the book says this. Here are two mysteries, the plurality of persons within the unity of God and the union of the Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. So there's, there's a little bit to get our minds around. He's, he says the, the two mysteries for the price of one, he literally says, that we find ourselves unable to process. We just sort of marvel at them. He, he said the first one is that there is a plurality, plurality of persons within the unity of God. So we say that we are a monotheistic faith. We believe in one God. But then we say that one God has three persons. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. Well, how can one God be three persons? Well, in our finite world and our material existence, that can't be true. But it is apparently true by the disclosure of God about himself in the Holy Scriptures. So at the very beginning of the story, Genesis chapter 1, which is our story of creation, um, it says that God said, let us make man in our image. And it's not the royal we. He's, he's, he's not just talking as one being and being politely royal. He's, he's saying there are more than one of us, and yet it is one of us. It is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we see through the, the, all of the scriptures. And those of you that have been formed in the Catholic faith, when I say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you immediately have to make the sign of the cross, right? Because that's, that's fundamental to our Christian faith. So from the very beginning, God discloses himself as a plural being. He is single and plural at the same time. And Packer says that is, that is one of the greatest mysteries, that one being can be three. That Jesus, when he's on earth, can say that he's talking to the Father, and he is talking to the Father, and yet at the same time he says, I and the Father are one. Um, and then he says that he wants us to come and be part of this lovely community that is the God that has made us 
and that uh, wants us to be in a relationship with him. So the first of the mysteries is that God is plural, and the second of the mysteries is that there is a union of the Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. That in the person of Jesus, we have God and man both in the same place. When we get to 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, uh, he's talking about the resurrection of the human body and so on, and he says, the first man is from the earth, that's talking about Adam, earthy, the second man is from heaven, and that's talking about Jesus. And he says that we, since we have borne the image of the earthy man, we will later bear the image of the heavenly man. That is a spiritual image that is from Jesus. Um, but there, there's a juxtaposition of these two, that there's the, the man from heaven and there's the man from earth. And the man from heaven, that kind of capsulizes the incarnation of Jesus. That someone who was heavenly became earthly. He became a human being, a material being, and thus we have the doctrine of the incarnation, of the, of the taking on of flesh of Jesus. So let me this morning just spend a little bit of time with you meditating on the theology of Jesus' incarnation from John. Because if you're starting out on the Christian faith, the Christian journey, um, this is the right place to start. Uh, the, the most fundamental question is, is Jesus God? Was Jesus God? So did he claim to be God? Well, he did. We've, we've seen that already. Do the early followers of Jesus believe that he was God? Well, they, they did, because here's John, who is his closest friend. He's been right next to Jesus for the whole of his public ministry. And now, as an old man, he's writing about what he understands about who Jesus was. And so he uses very charged language that we need to sort of have a, a dive into. He says, in the beginning was the word. Now, what, what is he doing except rhyming with Genesis chapter 1? So if you remember in your Bible, the whole story of the Bible begins in Genesis 1 with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then there's a whole litany of creation where we're told, and God said, let there be, and God said, let there be, and God said, let there be, and, and there was. What is John doing? He's deliberately rhyming with that, and he says, in the beginning, just like Moses wrote in Genesis, was the word. The word rhymes with God said. And then he goes on, and he says, the word that is the, the language of God, the spoken creative word, words of God, John now personifies and says, I'm about to introduce you to Jesus, the person that I've known in his human existence, in his bodily existence. Here's what I know about him. In the beginning was the word. I'm going to tell you in a moment he would say that that's Jesus. And then he says, here's the truth about this one that is called the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So if you can remember back to English class and prepositions, the prepositions in this verse are really important, right? It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So that preposition literally means across from God. It's, you would use it to describe two people face to face in a conversation or a relationship. 
So he said, this person that I'm calling the word, because I want you to get that he had a lot to do with Genesis 1 creation, this one was across from God. So distinct from God by the use of that preposition. And then he says, the word was God. So, so this being, at the beginning of time, already was. He was with God, across from God, face to face with God. And then he dares to say that the word was God, that, that this was God. And you say, this is impossible. And it is. In, in our minds, in our understanding, it's impossible that this could be. Spatially impossible. How could someone be face to face with God and yet be God? Even Game of Thrones has not been able to manage any kind of image of that kind of stuff, right? Right. Now, every now and then, there'll be two very nice people will come knock on your door, usually on a Saturday morning. And they've got a very pretty magazine in their hand called Awake or Watchtower or something. And they, they would like to talk to you about um, the future and about heaven. They are diligent folks, and now they're on street corners, they set up their stands, and full respect to them for how hard they work to communicate their religion. We have a fundamental disagreement with them, and we have a fundamental disagreement with with Judaism and with Islam on the person of Jesus. So, So that's why this is important. It's for us to say, you know what? Polite conversations should continue But when we put on the table the thing that is non-negotiable, well, Christianity stands or falls on the deity of Jesus because we're convinced that's what the scriptures teach us. And it's very purposeful um, that the scriptures present him as this so that we can understand that it's God himself who has come to rescue us from the mess we've made of of our lives and of our world. So the Jehovah's Witnesses will pull out their Bibles and they will read this verse and it will sound like this. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. Right? So, so they will say that Jesus is an angel. He um, is, is some sort of a manifestation, spiritual high being, but he's not the Son of God. And they will tell you that in the Greek it doesn't say the word was God, that it says the word was a God. And they're right, except, you you may want to write this down, there is a law of grammar called the Granville-Sharp rule. The Granville-Sharp rule. Granville-Sharp was an Englishman um, who uh, wrote um, grammars and and uh, linguistics, and and so on, and and loved and knew Greek very well. The point is that he he wrote a rule that is prevalent in every language, essentially, that has to do with um, the definite article. And the definite article is missing in John 1.1. And so if the definite article is not there, it would seem as though it's not saying the word was the God. It would seem that the text is saying the word was a God, except that this Granville-Sharp rule dominates and says that the same definite article is going to rule clause by clause. So you don't need to know any of that, but what you can do is say, do you understand Greek? And they'll say, no, but my teacher told me, you can say, well, I know Greek, at least I know this much Greek. Do you know there's a Granville-Sharp rule that basically 
rules out your translation, and here's, here's the deal. The New World Translation is the only translation of all the English translations that mistranslates because it violates the Granville Sharp rule. Aren't you glad you came today? Like this, you're going to go home and Google Granville Sharp rule. What is that? It's fascinating. Okay. Point is, again, it, our faith rises or falls on the truth about Jesus. He could have been just a very good man, a very good teacher, a miracle worker, except that he wasn't. He, he was God, which is astonishing and very hard to grasp, but very important for us to grasp. So John says he was in the beginning with God. Back to the, the, the preposition about being across from God. Then he says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. So he's going back now to, and God said. How, how did God create the world? Well, John says, he created the world God did through Jesus. That it was by Jesus that everything was created. There's nothing that was created that wasn't made by him. So back before time, back before us, Jesus and God, and we don't have time today to talk about the third person in the room, which is the Holy Spirit, um, they are in dialogue and as they purpose to bring creation into reality, it is Jesus that actually creates the world. So the irony of that is a little bit later in this chapter where we won't go today, where it says he came to his own things, but his own people wouldn't receive him. So he, he came literally to the world that was his. He made it. And his own people, his covenant people, didn't accept him. So here's the incredible dilemma of the incarnation, that the one who created us all and it all comes to it and doesn't find it to be home. That when, when we meditate further on this, we, we get that the very cross, like the tree that he was crucified on, he made. I mean, he, he understood the sinews of, of the wood on that tree. And yet he was confined to it. So he came to his own things, and yet he was actually nailed to what he had created and, and left helpless. And so for our whole lives long, we marvel at this truth that God is one but three, and that God came in mortal flesh in the person of his son to fix what we broke. And so John, just a little bit later down, in this very same chapter, he says, the word became flesh. So there's the whole theology of the incarnation of Jesus. The word became flesh. Um, and he uses the same verb about things coming into existence. So it's though he's saying the word that was not human became human. It, it, it became fleshly. It became mortal and made his dwelling among us. And dwelling, it, it just means he, made, he set it his tent. Or as Eugene Peterson says, he moved into the neighborhood. So the one that was the creator of everything that there was, who was not mortal, became mortal and came into the midst of his creation to fix it. And John says, as, as I look back over the life of Jesus, my friend, Here's what I've come to understand, that he was the logos, that's, that's the Greek word for, for the word. 
And he was the one who created everything. And he came and he lived among us. And, and John says, we saw his glory. I mean, we were able to watch him. And I, I have to tell you, he was the spitting image of the Father. He was the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John then goes on and talks about uh, what it is that we need to do um, with the truth of the incarnation. So there in, in 1520 minutes is a theology of the incarnation, a theology of Jesus as the Son of God, but hopefully just an emphasis that says it matters, right? It, it matters to figure this out. Um, if he was only a very, very good man, what other liabilities did he have? Maybe, I mean, if he had the same flesh as us, that flesh is corrupt, so he had to have some different version of flesh, but don't make any mistake, it was, it was mortal flesh, it was crucifiable flesh, it was touchable flesh, it was flesh that ate and grew and aged, all of those kinds of things. So I bring you finally to, to my favorite Irish author, and C.S. Lewis says this, and, and it's just really frank. He says, what I'm trying to do is stop people from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg. I don't know if you've met one of those or not. Presumably they do. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You, have, you must make your choice. So you can't get away with saying what is very nice to say, which is that Jesus was a great moral teacher. He certainly was. But the things that he said, he wouldn't go around saying, before Abraham was, I am, if he didn't want to claim that he actually was before Abraham and, and was God. So Lewis says, you're, you're not going to get out of this argument easily by saying, I believe he was a great moral teacher. He presented himself as God, as the Son of God. His followers came to understand that that was true. And the whole faith rests on the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ, um, that he was part of the Trinity, one of the three who had been in blessed fellowship forever and who left that and came to be alone, somehow separate from the being that he was. Go figure. And John says, um, we saw him, and we declare to you that, that he is the Son of God. He is the Son of the Father. So does it matter? It, it, it does matter. And, and if we want to plot our way through the Christian faith, uh, it starts there. It starts with the very important question, who was Jesus and why did he come? And we've been trying to make our way through that journey um, having considered that maybe he just came to fix religion. Maybe he just came to be a great moral teacher, to be a miracle worker. But he apparently came for more than that because while he was here, he kept saying really amazing things like, I have to go and die. And his followers didn't get it. Why do you have to die? You can teach us, you can fix Judaism, you can get us victory over the Romans. Why do you have to die? Because 
Jesus tried to explain to them he came for more than moral teaching and more than to overthrow the Romans. He came to do an incredible thing as God and the Son of God in flesh. So there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Co- in theological terms, they are co-eternal. They're all eternal. They're co-equal. One's not more God than the other. They are coexistent. They have always been a trinity, a communion of God. And into the future, the amazing thing is that we are actually invited to go and meet with them, um, to go and be at home in their home and talk with them. It's an amazing thing. Why don't we just pray and then ask the Lord to help us understand. Father God, um, we don't we don't understand at all how this can be true. So we, in, in faith and trust, believe you as you um, go to great lengths to disclose yourself to us, to, to explain to us that you are one and you are three. And so much comes out of that, that you are a God who is committed to relationships, to community, uh, to friendships, to plurality. And we've been made in that image, and so we're like you in that way, that we, uh, we love to be together and be a community, be a, a friendship, be a fellowship. And so help us to, uh, while we don't hope to grasp it, help us to, to gaze at it and be amazed that this could be true, that three could be one, one could be three all at the same time. 